0: Welcome to the That's My Financial Guy podcast with Brian Haney, founder of The Haney Company, financial guru who looks great in pants and helps people understand their finances. Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I'm your financial guy, Brian Haney with The Haney Company. And today I am privileged to have Mr. Brock Jolly, the college funding coach here with me. So we're going to we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about, but let's before we dive into technical things, let's get to know you a little bit, Brock. Perfect. So if you could live anywhere in the world for a year, regardless of cost, regardless of anything else, where would you want to live?
1: Wow. You know, it's interesting. I uh I'm a big travel guy. Love traveling the world, love seeing new places, been a lot of places, been to not quite as many places as my father. My father just went to his hundred and second country. Ooh. Uh so wow! I am uh, I'm a little bit behind him, but not too far. I'm at about seventy five countries, something like that. And uh, so, my short answer would probably be the next place, because one of the things I that uh, is sort of a pet peeve of my wife's is that she always wants to go to these places, and I said, well. I've already been there. I don't want to go visit that place again, and it's it's very frustrating for her. And so, my short answer is where I, where I'd want to live is probably the next place. But I've never been to Australia. That's uh, an attractive place to me. But I, I would tell you too. The other answer is right where I am, because yeah. I, I think you know the world moves pretty fast. Yeah. And my favorite place to be is right where I am right now. Right. And so I, I think just being conscious about that rather than thinking the grass is always greener or there's someplace better to be. So that's my esoteric answer to your. That's uh, great. Your, no, your good question a there. lot more
0: philosophical yeah. than, than than people tend to get, which is perfect. So, what food will you not eat under any circumstances? Like the threat of death doesn't matter. It's not going on in your mouth.
1: If it, if threat of death, I mean, you know, I, I'd probably. We're pretty serious. I'd, I'd, probably, these I'd probably suck it up and uh, and eat it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, but but one thing that I think is maybe a little unique is I, two things I've never had in my life. I've never had lettuce, and I've never had coffee. So at forty years old, why start now? But you know, given your threat of death there, i I would be willing to eat lettuce if it meant my yeah, life. I if would get to choose I'd lettuce suck it or up. coffee yeah, yeah lettuce. I mean there's there's some things out there that i'm I'm not real into i i I was in Iceland one time, and I ate rotten shark, which was a pretty unique thing. What yeah. is it called? I think it's called rotten shark. I I don't know what it's called in Icelandic. <laughs> um, it, it's disgusting. It's pretty gross. They, sure. They, they literally bury the shark in the dirt and then uh, let it rot and then people eat it as a delicacy. It was horrible and stunk. That but,
0: sounds uh, like a bad like you know fraternity joke that's turned into a food. Yeah, I type mean of you know I guess so. it gets
1: pretty cold in Iceland in the winter. Lots and, of things to do, like very uh, yeah, sharks so and, that's that's how you entertain you know, yourself. Eat I suppose
0: that's good. Would you rather go to space or the bottom of the ocean?
1: Hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a scuba diver, so I do like diving, but that said, there is uh there's a lot of pressure down there at the bottom of the ocean and it gets dark down there. I, I'd be, I'd be a little scared of the bottom of the ocean space is, you know, something I've never experienced. I guess it truly is not even the next frontier. I mean, between the things that Elon Musk and um, you know, some others are doing, I, I think in our lifetime, we're probably going to see people living in communities in space. So I'd like to experience that. I think that's kind of neat. Yeah. I mean, the Jetsons. You know. The Jetsons, totally. I mean, we'll, we'll so much there. stuff. I mean, literally flying cars are coming out this summer. Yeah. The, the, the consumer I can purchase that. flying cars this summer at a reasonable price. I mean, something in—reasonable. Depends how you define reasonable. But <laughs> less than $100,000, you can purchase a flying car. Yeah. I'm in.
0: You know, why not? That or a Porsche. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Whichever, whichever we're going to cut that cake. Um, all right. And finally, besides this one, what other podcast do you
1: like to listen to? Well, Brian, this is the only podcast that I listen to on a regular basis. But other than that, you know, there are a couple. I, I would say I'm not a, uh, not a consistent podcast listener. Tim Ferriss has a podcast that I really like that, you know, just, interviewing unique people and sort of talking to them about their stories the motley fool is one in the financial industry space yeah, that good, uh, that i listen to I, I, th- I and i've been a guest on that one so maybe that you know shameless plug there i hadn't thought about that until just now but i would say those are the two that i probably listen to the most i, I like anything where it's where you're interviewing somebody who has had successes, but oftentimes they're talking about their failures that have led to the successes, right? Yeah. Of like what were your stumbling blocks along the way that got you to where you are today? And what'd you learn from them? Right. There's a, a saying I use a lot, a bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. That's right. And and there's so many people where, you know, they they've had these tremendous successes, but it's not from a lack of failure. And so that I, I like to just hear those stories, whether it's an athlete or a business person or whatever it may have been just how'd they get to where they are today and what caused them to be molded the way that they are Uh, yeah cool stuff
0: no no i can appreciate that i i I would attest to that myself so we're gonna get into kind of the the nitty-gritty but the the last and really probably the most important thing we're gonna just address is the fact that uva has now had two national championships like in in less than two months time wow who I mean, I know you should have been an Indiana Hoosier, but that's okay. (laughs) It's a nice time to be a a Wahoo. So,
1: well, I would say, you know, for all my friends back in Indiana, Indiana University is still my second favorite team. But my loyalty started at 18 years old when I went when I left Indiana and landed in Charlottesville, Virginia, to go to college. And so, the University of Virginia now has my loyalty. And you know, for years and years and years of suffering through just depression, along with UVA. Sports. It's pretty nice to see not just one with basketball, but two national championships. Having just yesterday, the uh, men's lacrosse team won their sixth national championship. Yep. And so, now again, I grew up in Indiana. The first lacrosse game I ever saw was the 1996 national championship. Just before I went to UVA, my dad yep. told me, "Hey, if you're going to go to UVA, these guys are pretty good at this sport called lacrosse. You got to figure it out." And so, I ended up living with some lacrosse players while I was at UVA. It's it's an awesome sport. I grew up being a hockey player. Lacrosse is a lot like hockey. I, I just, again, I've been watching it now for twenty plus years, and I don't fully understand the uh, rules of lacrosse. So, being here in DC, and you know, Baltimore is a big pocket for lacrosse. If somebody wants to, you know, teach me all the rules, I'd I'd love to. You know, well, we'll learn, learn that yeah. another another podcast no, okay. another time. Perfect.
0: Love it. You'll you probably have seen one of a classmate in a. a Teammate of mine, Matt Ward, because he does the- uh, Oh, yeah, on ESPN. Sure. Yeah, so sure. Famous UVA national champ. Back I didn't himself, realize you grew so. up with him. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I won't tell you what his nickname was in high school, though. <laughs> All right. So I wrote an article recently for Association Now, and it was on employee benefits. And one of the things that I mentioned in the article was this phenomenon, right? The first time probably in our society's history where we have a generation of working adults- that are actively and likely aggressively trying to save for their children's college expenses, while at the same time paying off their own student loan debt. Yeah, yeah. and so that kind of highlights where we are with college funding in a very you know high level way. So, just walk our audience through. You've started and now run the the college funding coach essentially since two thousand and two. Just talk about that experience, and then zero in on kind of what you see maybe is some of the the most important
1: things going on in the area of college funding. It continues to be just more and more fascinating as we sort of peel back this onion. And Brian, as you said, I got into the financial planning industry actually in 2000. So I graduated from UVA, just to pull that all together. I graduated from UVA. The jobs were in the D.C. area. Moved up to Washington, D.C. The stock market happened to be doing great. I I had a, a great job with a financial planning firm and... Yeah, I mean, literally, I was making 200 cold calls every day. It was a little crazy. But shortly after I got into the business, the dot-com bubble burst. And the <laughs> question that I kept getting from parents was, how in the world are we going to pay for our kids' college education? Yeah. And you sort of had these two sets of parents. You had, you had one set where maybe they had done a really good job of saving, and then the dot-com bubble burst, which sort of decimated most of the stock market, regardless of where you were invested And you had another set of parents where they had sort of just focused on other priorities, whether it was saving for retirement or vacation or the kitchen remodel or whatever it was. And college kind of crept up on them. Yeah. And so I'd get this question. And after I got the same question, maybe the, I don't know, eighth or 10th time, I finally said, you know what? Maybe I need to do some research on this. This seems to be a popular question. And so I did research it, and I figured out a couple of things. I figured out, number one, most financial advisors really don't know the ins and outs of how college funding truly works. Yeah. I mean, literally, just before I walked in to do this recording, I was on the phone with a, another financial advisor, and he was asking me all these questions. And he said, you know, I've been in this business for almost 20 years. And he said, I just don't know this stuff about college funding. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, Josh, you're not alone. That's the deal. And the problem is, I mean, if you fast forward to today, for so many advisors, we get inundated by the 529 plan companies who talk about 529 plans. And we'll get into that, I'm sure. But the 529 plan just broadly is the section of the IRS code that talks about college funding instruments. Yep. And I would say a 529 plan is a great tool. It's not necessarily a strategy. Right. And what I mean by that is, look, the market goes up, the market goes down. For some families, a 529 plan may not be a great strategy if they may qualify for need-based aid. Okay, to, to, to back it up a little bit, you know, I kept getting these questions. Number two thing that I learned was that for most families, their money was in two places. It was in the equity in their homes, and it was in their retirement plans. Yep, Great for retirement. Not so great when you need to send one or two or three or seven. Kids Mm -hmm. to college, right? For so many families, and especially, you know, we're here in the Washington, D.C. area, but, you know, there's so many pockets around the country where this is true, where you make good money, but you don't necessarily feel particularly wealthy. Yeah. And so, as a result, maybe you haven't had an opportunity to save as much as you could or should save for college, but yet the way that the financial aid formula works, it says you're not eligible for any need-based aid. Yep. And so it leaves these parents scratching their heads, saying, all right, well, what do I do? And how do I pay for my kids' college education and still retire one day? Yeah. And it's that balancing act. And so long story, like you said, in 2002, I started teaching a class through the adult education program uh, in Arlington, Virginia, and it sort of spread like wildfire. We were, we were te- for those of you in the DC area, you, you know, the counties, we were in Arlington County, then Loudoun County, then Montgomery County, Maryland, then Fairfax County, it really just spread. And then we were teaching classes down in Richmond, Virginia. And honestly, I got a little tired of schlepping up and down I-95, dealing (laughs) with that traffic. And so brought in a group to basically take over the the relationship down in Richmond. We got a guy in Philadelphia, then San Francisco. We've now got about 85 advisors around the country who are part of our program. Because, (laughs) you know, I'm talking about Washington, D.C. just because that's kind of how we got started. But Washington, D.C. is not that unique in terms of the, the family dynamic and the, the inability to save. And like you yeah. said, college is getting more and more expensive, right? It's gone up basically triple the rate of inflation yep. since 2000. And so how does a family balance that? How do you save for retirement and still pay for your kid's college education without ideally putting an inordinate amount of student loan debt on the shoulders of your kids? Cause that can really hamstring them to be able to do the things that they want to do. And, it creates a potential domino effect, and so we're really trying to make an impact with families to say, okay, number one, can you qualify for need-based aid, and number two, whether you can or can't, how do you create a strategy that will allow you to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish over your lifetime?
0: Yeah. No, and you you nailed
1: so many good points. Let's take a
0: a real specific example. Let's just think of our two alma maters, UVA. In Indiana, which probably I imagine are maybe similar on the same level because they're both state colleges. So out-of-state tuitions probably where? 35 in the 30s? So, well, no. uh,
1: Maybe a little bit higher. Yeah, a little higher. So so UVA out-of-state is around 50. IU out-of-state is around 45. Yeah. And it's getting higher and higher. And And in
0: states- in the 20s, yes, yes. Yeah. which so, doesn't see. I mean, obviously that's not 50, but it's also not free. That's right. That's <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, and think about it. Think about. It. Let's say. Let's say nationally, the average cost of an in-state public, to keep the math simple, let's call it twenty-five thousand dollars a year. Right. If your child graduates in four years, which by the way, the average is a little over five. That's right. Right, because kids drop out, transfer, change majors don't take a full course load, all these different things that cause them to have to go a fifth or even a sixth year. And, you know, so you think about it, if they graduate in four years and if the cost of attendance doesn't increase over those four years, both of which are pretty big variables, then you're talking about a hundred thousand dollars. The average family has less than $70,000 saved by the time they retire. Right. So how do you pay a hundred thousand dollars per kid? Right. For college. And by the way, some, You know, I'm just envisioning, I've got a five-year-old at home and I'm just envisioning, I mean, he's kind of a derelict right now. So inevitably he's going to come to me one day and say, dad, really excited about going to college, but I don't think I'm going to an in-state public school. I want to go to a really expensive out-of-state or private school, Yeah. which in today's world, even today, you know, 2019, the most expensive schools are inching up right at $80,000 per year. It's a lot it's of money, right? And how do you do it and how do you balance it? And, and what we really try to do at the College Funding Coach is help parents figure out strategies that involve not just the saving piece, but also looking at scholarships. If you're going to take out student loans, what type of loans might make the most sense? How do you piece this puzzle together to be able to make college a reality, right? Because as we all know, we've all seen the statistics of how much more valuable a student with a college degree is that... You know, launches them out into the world, all those type of things. We, we want to make that a reality without bankrupting the family.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and so for the you know, the family that's trying to triage, like you mentioned, decide between how do I save for myself as well as save for my kids at the same time because I don't have an unlimited right. amount of, of resources available to do so. What are some of those things that you found to be helpful – and certainly, and I know you'll, you'll go through this in a broader context of kind of zooming out and, and how, you know, doing things strategically, like you mentioned, probably makes this a little bit easier. Because if you, if you just zoom in on college without the benefit of, of kind of the bigger picture or having a broader plan, sometimes you can miss it in certain areas. So yeah. can you talk about both well, of those things?
1: Yeah, and I think it's, it's a really good point. I think the number one rule that we stress is you can't plan for college in a vacuum. You've got to plan comprehensively. Because college is so expensive, you have to look at the big picture. And we get parents a lot of times that say, well, I've got college all, all taken care of. We've got a prepaid tuition plan, or we've got a 529 plan. And for better or worse, I can kind of poke holes in that, right? Because sure. Like like the prepaid tuition plans that are available in about a dozen states these days. Great idea, number one, if your kid goes to an in-state public school. absolutely, Right? But number two is they only cover in-state publics, and they only cover tuition for the majority of these plans. And so they don't cover everything else, room and board, books, computers, supplies, etc. And so how do you create a plan for that? With the savings variety 529s, again, great tool, but what happens if the year before one of your children goes to college, the market goes down by 20%? Yep. What do you do? And so- Again, it's not to say, look, putting money into a 529 plan, as that last example, is better than doing nothing, right? And we see a lot of families where, you know, they look at some of these numbers and and let's face it, they're big numbers, Brian. And how do you do it? And a lot of families, you know, it's sort of paralysis by analysis Mm -hmm. that they look at these big numbers and it's like, holy cow, I could never save that amount of money. So I'm just going to stick my head in the sand, cross my fingers. And hope it works out. Yeah. Not a real good strategy. No. Not a real good approach to it. And so we really try to meet families where they are, figure out the type of strategies that will make sense for their family, and which levers does it make sense to pull, whether that be trying to maximize your eligibility for need-based aid, or to draw that line in the sand and say, you know what? We live in Fairfax County, Virginia. We live in Montgomery County, Maryland. We live in... Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. wherever we may be, and to say, we're not going to qualify for need-based aid. Okay, what do you do? How do you create a strategy? Right. And where do you go from there? And I think that's the key. And, and it's just that balancing act. And look, for some, some families, the solution may be that we need to create a strategy around student loans. Yeah. Maybe we need to go get student loans, but all student loans are not created equal. How do you find those loans that are in your best interest? Yeah. And, and again, I would even go a step further to say a loan is not the right solution for every family. Right. Right. And so we've really got to look at it and say, okay, how do you how are you going to do this based on your circumstances? How many kids do you have? What's your risk tolerance, your time horizon, et cetera. And to go back to one of the original things you said, we see families where mom and dad still have student loan debt. Yeah. And the one rule of thumb I would tell you around that is- I would much rather your kid graduate from college at, say, 23 years old with some student loan debt than mom or dad at 53 or 63 years old to have that same student loan debt. Yeah. Right? Because your kid's got 40 years to pay it off, right? And so while I don't love the idea of burdening kids with student loan debt, if we have to do it, they've got time on their side. That's true. Whereas mom and dad... I don't think the goal generally is for you to work until you're 85 years old, unless it is, and then there's a different strategy. That's right. right. Yeah. And I think you kind of said this without saying it,
0: but you've probably found sometimes that almost check the box mentality, which is you know best of intentions, but we see and hear and experience kind of the marketing of 529 plans. And so you have a lot of families that just think, check, right? Right. College funding, check. I have this account that it almost equals it's going to work out. Yes. And so you mentioned a couple of the other things in terms of understanding how paying for college can work. So maybe let's back out and look at that and just walk through what are the various ways somebody pays for college.
1: Sure. And just along the lines of what you were saying, I think in the world of financial planning, the best financial plans, best in quotation marks, the best financial plans are those that give a family the maximum amount of flexibility mm-hmm. and control. Yeah. And one of the challenges is if you think about retirement, right? Most people, when they think of retirement, they naturally think of, say, a 401k. Yep. Right? In the association space, maybe it's a 403b, but but that type of an instrument, yep. right? Where yep. basically you put money aside, maybe you get some employer matching, But you really can't touch it until you're at least 59 and a half. Right. Right. Right? And look, it's a great tool. Now, if we rewind the tape a little bit, prior to about 1974, everybody had pensions. Yep. Right. Especially here in Washington, D.C., everybody had pensions.
0: Yeah.
1: Times have changed. And now for so many people, retirement has become tied to this product. Right. A 401k or a 403b or a thrift savings plan sort of has to be used for- retirement. Similarly, a 529 plan sort of has to be used for college, Yeah. right? And and the challenge is, if you think about it, I've got a five-year-old, you've got young kids at home, and I have no idea where my kid's going to go to school. I have no idea what college is going to cost. And so to tie my financial hopes, dreams, and future reality to this one product, to me, is a little bit scary. Sure. Now, I use 529 plans. I, again, I think they're a yep. good tool, but I also have set money aside in other buckets yeah. so that as the time approaches for my son and any future children to go to college, now we can plan from a position of strength. Yep. Right. Maybe we put money that is over here in a non-qualified brokerage account or something like that or money in the bank. Maybe we're putting that into the 529 plan. We can adjust as needed, based upon what the cost at the particular schools that he or she may be considering or all the other variables that exist out there, how the the market has performed, et cetera. Yeah. Because I'll give you a perfect example. I I had a family that came to me. They had two kids. In 2019, the maximum that you can put into a Section 529 plan is $75,000. You can put it in in lump sum up front. And for a lot of families, it makes sense. But this particular family, they came to me. They had a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And they said, you know, through some bonuses and some gifts and things, they had the money set aside. They said, we'd like to put $75,000 aside for each of the kids. I said, can I give you my honest feedback? <laughs> Not knowing what what they might come back with. And they said, yeah, sure. I said, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I said, because, look, I hope the market performs fantastically well, sure. but I have no idea if your kids are going to go to college. I have no idea where they're going to go to school. I have no idea what the cost is going to be. So what I think you ought to do is to sort of slow roll it. Now, just to kind of give you the dichotomy of advice that can exist here is later that afternoon, I met with someone who had a junior in high school Mm -hmm. and had done very little to fund college for their three kids, oldest oldest being a junior. And And they also had some money set aside, but not inside of a Section 529 plan. And I said, look- I would give you the advice that I think you ought to put that money into, a second, the big lump sum up front. Now, for the two younger kids, we didn't do it. Right. So again, just understanding the families, where they are, what they're doing. You asked about, you know, the different tools out there. Certainly, five twenty nine plans are sort of the most popular that people are discussing these days. But there are lots of different tools and strategies out there. Coverdell savings plans can be used for private elementary school, middle schools, and high schools. The problem with five to- sorry with Coverdells. I would just point out that the maximum contribution is $2,000 per child per year. So you don't get an opportunity to get a lot of money into them, but they're still a great instrument. UGMAs or UTMAs, which are also called custodial accounts, uh, are, are great. Lots of flexibility there problem with those is that they are taxable. They do count as an asset of the child. Mm-hmm. But we see families doing other things too, some outside-the-box strategies, maybe using Roth IRAs. One of the reasons that you can pull money out of an IRA prior to age 59 and a half is for education. Yep. And so that could be a good tool. Uh, even things like cash value life insurance, where you can access the money from a cash value life insurance policy and pull it out tax-free generally to be used for college education. What I like about that strategy is generally it's not tied to the market. Right. So you sort of have this balancing act approach where if the stock market's doing well, maybe you pull out of the 529 plans. If the stock market's not doing so well, you've got cash value life insurance not tied to the market from which you can take the distributions. And again, just trying to build on that concept of having maximum flexibility and maximum control, that sort of thing that I, I think is what we look for in all of our discussions with our clients. Yeah. Usually people don't mind having more options. right? Yeah. Than right. Less. I mean, uh, having options yeah. is good, whether you're talking about a sandwich menu or something as simple as paying for college, right?
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. No,
1: you, you better believe it. Yep. And
0: you mentioned a lot of various tools. And I think if I heard you right, the theme of all of that is understanding how in certain tools, life insurance or Roth IRA are great examples of those, you can kind of kill a couple birds with the same stone. For right. the family who doesn't have that unlimited amount of money to be setting aside on a month-to-month basis, that's a pretty helpful consideration. If they have a finite number of, of dollars that they can direct, being able to maybe target two needs... Right can be really advantageous, because if you don't end up using that's it right. for college, you put it in into an instrument that has other purposes that it can be used for.
1: Yeah, and, and exactly. And and that's the whole idea of having this flexibility that, look, I tell families with young kids who say, how much do I need to save? Well, I don't know, but it's a big number, <laughs> right? And, and look, that's not great guidance, but maybe it's the best guidance that we can give, right? right. And, and you look and say, well, college tuition over the last 20 years has gone up exponentially more than anything else in the economy, right? More than healthcare, more than gasoline, more than a loaf of bread, more than anything. So how do you plan for that? And look, there's two schools of thought. One school of thought is college will continue to escalate. The other school of thought is, well, maybe once we can leverage technology a little more, maybe the cost of college is going to go down. All I tell clients is, look, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. I have no idea. But what I can tell you is I don't want to be that father sitting on the sideline who says we didn't save enough because we thought college was going to be less expensive right. 15 years from now. And so what I would tell you is, look, save as much as you possibly can save in a healthy way, right? You don't want to sacrifice unnecessarily if you can avoid it. But save and save and save. To your point there, Brian, my my approach is Maybe it's not in an instrument that has to be used for college. Right. And then if you don't need it for college, then guess what? Retirement maybe just got a lot rosier or a lot easier, exactly. right? The ability to tell a client, look, if we don't need it for college, you can retire two years early. Things like that that I, I think are probably very welcome uh, messages to be uh, receiving.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're well aware that our our clients predominantly are in the association community and this topic has clearly touched that industry as it has pretty sure. much any industry in the US. What are some of the things that you've seen specific to that market that have been working for you and and maybe are opportunistic for associations to be made aware of? Because I, I can guarantee you, I'm sure a lot of them probably don't think of this at all when it comes to, you know, what they're doing either for their employees or or maybe even right. for their members. So Yeah,
1: it's and we're having a lot of success and traction in the association community, it, it's interesting. When we first started teaching these classes, like you said, in 2002, first of all, it was primarily parents of high school juniors and seniors, right? Right? Deer in headlights. And, <laughs> you know, they, they said, hey, you ought to go teach this at the elementary schools, right? Because I wish I had known this information. And, and you sort of get that, you get that parent who says, hey, Brock, this is great information, but I've only got a fourth grader, I got plenty of time. We'll go talk to your neighbor who's got the junior or senior, you know, and (laughs) ask them if you've got plenty of time. And so our focus in the early years was largely on the schools, but I would tell you over the years it's evolved and we're seeing in sort of that employee benefit space, not just looking at 529 plans or other college planning tools as an employee benefit, but also looking at discussing the bigger picture around college funding as sort of like a wellness benefit. Yeah. So we're going into businesses, we're going into community organizations, we're going into associations. We've actually been asked to speak at a couple of associations at their national conferences on this topic. Yeah, uh, surprise me. Yeah, specifically because think about it, college funding is one of those subject areas that really affects everybody across the gamut, yeah. right? You have kids that you'd like to not have live in your basement for the rest of their lives. Hopefully. This is important. Yeah. Right. And so we're going into associations. We're going into the employers who are affiliated with those associations and doing this as sort of an employee benefit and mm-hmm. or wellness type of conversation where we'll do lunch and learn type of activities and just educate either the employees or the members of an association around college funding. Yeah. And really customize our deliverable, our workshop for that community and getting lots of great feedback. Because again, it's it's not something that is unique to a particular employer or unique to a particular association, right? We c- We can go into the association of landscape engineers, or we can go into the association of ballpoint pen manufacturers, right? Yep. I'm sure those are both two of your clients, right? Probably. Uh, if not, they should I'd be. I'd have to check. Um, but the point is that y- you've got parents in these groups. Yes, you do. Right? And they are concerned about launching their kids off into the world. And mm-hmm. I think it's something that for us has been a really cool like rallying cry. And the impact that we're making is pretty significant because you've got these parents who say, look, I want to give my kids a great future. I want to launch them off into the world. (laughs) To my earlier point, I want them to not live in my basement the rest of their lives. And how do I do it? There's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of confusion. And we really try to cut through all of that and give them a message that they can kind of get their arms around and say, okay, I feel empowered. I can make a strategy. I can put something together that's going to allow me to save and pay for my children's college education. And here's what's most important and still retire one day.
0: Yeah which is key. I couldn't say it better myself. So how would somebody get a hold of you
1: if you know they had questions or any interest? Yeah, I would love the opportunity. They can either visit our website, which is www.thecollegefundingcoach.org. So thecollegefundingcoach.org. Or you can call our office. You can reach us directly at 703-424-2401 or we also have a toll-free number which is 1-800-969-2362. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming in. Absolutely, really thanks for having me. It. Yeah, we'll my have pleasure. To have you on again to talk uh,
0: Indiana Hoops.
1: Fair. Where, love, know, love my Hoosiers. If, if one day they can ever get back on track. Although it looks like Romeo Langford's gone, which is disappointing. So, yeah. we'll see. Got to rebuild. Good thanks, stuff. my friend. Thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at thehaneycompany. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal, legal, or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated. Member FINRA/SIPC.